This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. One of the conversations surrounding possible changes we will see in the future is linked to the Dodd-Frank rollback. Dodd-Frank was put in place to try and keep the financial industry in check after the 2008 crisis. It has seemingly done many good things, but now is seen by some as in need of some changes. Even Senator Barney Frank said in a TV interview the other day that a couple of tweaks may be necessary. But the question also being asked is, is sweeping change even possible? We're joined in studio by Wharton's Peter Connie Brown, Assistant Professor of Legal Studies and Business Ethics, and on the phone with us, Michael Barr, Professor at the University of Michigan Law School, and he was one of the architects of the Dodd-Frank bill. Michael, great to have you on the phone with us again. My pleasure. Thank you, Peter. Great to see you again. Uh, it was a pleasure. Thank you, Michael. I mean, since you were there and part of it, when you hear all of this going on right now, I would think your reaction has to be, in part, amazement. Well, I just don't understand why they would uh, start the new president's administration by attacking the kinds of provisions that protect consumers and protect investors and have put in place real guardrails against recreating the kind of financial crisis we saw in 2008. It, it just seems like a recipe for a huge disaster. In the, in the time since it's been enacted, what have been the, you mentioned obviously protecting the consumers, but what have been the, the pieces to it that you think have done the greatest good? Well, I, I would start on the um, ways in which the bill has protected American families with a new strong Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, that's already returned $12 billion uh, to people who have been taken advantage of in the financial system. We have a new uh, ability to wind down big firms if they get into trouble so we don't have to face the kind of uh, bailouts of AIG or the disaster of the Lehman bankruptcy in the past. We have a new system to make sure that shadow banking is regulated uh, strongly, uh, brought into the regulatory perimeter rather than left to uh, do whatever it wants outside. We have a series of strong measures uh, to protect uh, retirement uh, savers um, from abuse that uh, the new administration wants to roll back. And we have a whole bunch of rules about uh, disclosure, bringing derivatives into the uh, sunlight, uh, making sure that oil companies report their uh, for payments to foreign governments, uh, trying to open up uh, the ability of uh, real citizens uh, to be able to report complaints they have uh, about the uh, activities in the financial sector. And, uh, you know, I could go on and on, but the, the basic problem is that all of these things are now at risk. Uh, they've made clear that they want to do a wholesale attack mm -hmm. uh, on the Dodd-Frank Act. And that's not about uh, increasing lending. That's about uh, giveaways to the financial sector. I mentioned that uh, Senator Frank did an interview uh, on CNBC a couple of days ago, and, and even he admitted that, they, and, and I guess, you know, with a lot of bills that end up passing Congress and, and, and becoming law, uh, that there are things that probably could be tweaked. I, I would say that, may, do you even have one or two of those areas? Oh, of course. I mean, look, I'd be the last person to say that a piece of legislation is a, a perfect uh, <laughs> embodiment of the ideals of, of, of what people wanted. There are always tweaks that can be made. There's always drafting choices. 
that you wish were different. Uh, there are always uh, rules that could be simplified. Uh, and, you know, in particular, um, I have been a long proponent for very targeted uh, community bank relief uh, from a number of provisions right. uh, and have publicly called for those for years and years now. Uh, but the basic problem is that the new administration seems intent on using the idea of community bank relief as an excuse for a set of reforms that have nothing at all to do with community banks. They have nothing at all to do with increasing small business lending. They have everything to do with unleashing parts of the financial sector that brought the United States to its knees in 2008. Peter, have you seen this play out? Your reaction's been what? Well, I'm, as, a, as a historian, I'm, so, I'm intrigued mostly by uh, the coalitional effects of, of Trump's election vis-a-vis -vis the House Republicans, uh, because, of course, Dodd-Frank reform has been the order of the day uh, since Dodd-Frank was passed right. and, uh, and was certainly uh, captured the imagination of, of House Republicans as soon as they retook the House in 2010 and began governing in 2011. What's so intriguing about this is the basic architecture legislatively is this thing called the Choice Act, which is was introduced uh, in uh, the fall of 2016 after you know months and years of, of uh, kind of one-off proposals that would would change sometimes incrementally, sometimes radically. Dodd Frank, but again, the dynamics in September 2016 were this: uh, most everybody expected that we'd be looking at President Clinton in January 2017, right. and the House Republicans were uh, confident that they would still be in control uh, even after that election. And so, so much of what the Choice Act is looking at is about constraining executive power, constraining agency discretion, uh, uh, changing the, the basic nature of, of Dodd-Frank in a way that is in, against the backdrop of institutional politics, a Republican Congress versus a Democratic president. And we don't have that anymore. What we have instead is a coalition that includes uh, right-wing Rust Belt populism that yep. is hostile to international trade, for example. Right. Now, that very same motivation should similarly be profoundly skeptical of most things that are in the Choice Act. But what we're noticing is that the, the Trump administration coalition breaks down quite dramatically around the issues of trade and financial reform, even though they're really of a piece in economic policy. Yeah. And so that's the thing to watch is to see if that uh, that divided coalition uh, and the way that those divisions will play out, both in terms of presidential prerogatives, but also in terms of the coalition, coalition behind Donald Trump. It'll be very, very hard to sell to those uh, who voted for uh, radical change and a Trump-Bannon-type ideological uh, approach to say, yes, we should get rid of all of these protections for for average workers and consumers and investors. But it, it seems like even in more and more articles are being written about the fact that uh, whatever change uh, might they want to do, it would still take several months to, to be able to do it. And there's not certainty that a total repeal or a gutting or you know whatever adjective you'd like to use here can actually happen. Well, right. I mean, the way we've got to think about it is, I mean, the process that Michael Barr and the others in the Obama administration went through in 2009 and 10 uh, was a legislative one. It was vastly yeah. complicated. Uh, it was politics at its best. It was politics at its worst. But it was a political process that cobbled together 16 different acts, essentially, into a single overarching statute. That's the legislative process. It's incredibly unpredictable. 
Um, it's it's resource intensive. Yep. Um, and then there's the regulatory process. And the regulatory process that, that ship has has sailed in so many respects uh, over you know in the in the uh, six and a half years since Dodd Frank's passage, and that's the thing that we're going to watch is to see what the Trump administration tries to do uh, as a regulatory retrenchment, and then what a Trump administration with uh, his sometimes unlikely allies in the Republican caucus can do legislatively. Michael, well, look, I think that this is going to be a long, hard slog. Uh, for uh, for everybody involved, and I think that you know what we've seen so far is really the opening salvo or set of salvos in a long-running war. Uh, I, I think what we've seen the, thus far is that they're willing to um, uh, really uh, go after a whole set of provisions that have nothing to do with the basic goal of community banking relief or of increased lending. I mean, just look at sort of where they started. Uh, the first move that they're sending, that Republicans in Congress are sending to the president's desk, is um, to repeal a disclosure provision in Dodd-Frank, a provision that said oil companies have to reveal their payments to foreign governments. Right, yeah. So, you know, I think we have to ask, like, how is getting rid of that provision, how is letting oil companies make secret payments to foreign governments in the interest of anybody in the United States, in anybody? Uh, other than an oil and gas company. So I just think that, you know, if you, if you start to catalog what they've done, they've moved on that. The SEC uh, chairman is now uh, trying to slow walk rules that require disclosure about the gap between CEO and uh, worker pay. Uh, they've said that they want to go after this orderly liquidation authority. They want to end the ability of the uh, Fed to be able to supervise the shadow banking sector. They want to weaken the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They want to block the Department of Labor's anti-conflicts rule. If you look at all these steps, none of them are about unleashing lending in the United States. Yeah, yeah they... I just think it's just, you know, it's it's just a brutal assault on the basic um, steps that have been taken since the financial crisis to try and make the system safer and fairer. So I, you know, I absolutely agree with with Michael and on on so many of these. The the there's in some of them there's a good faith uh, dispute that is uh, that is partisan in nature. Democrats tend to view things one way, Republicans tend to view things in another. A good example would be: uh, should judges or regulators be in charge of resolving these complex institutions? In other words, should we reform the bankruptcy code to equip bankruptcy judges with the uh, the information and, and authority to resolve these complex institutions, or should we put that in the hands of regulators? Dodd Frank opted for regulators. Uh, many Republicans think that judges should be in charge. There's that's a substantive, interesting, speculative debate. Right. Ninety percent or more of what the Trump administration and the Republican caucus are proposing to do to Dodd Frank don't look like those substantive debates. Right, right. It, taking the CFPB and saying you're no longer allowed to regulate payday lending if the state or sponsoring tribe says the federal government has no role here. Um, that is only about making sure that payday lending stays in the shadows, right, yeah. and yeah. that consumers don't get that kind of federal protection that passed uh, that that law says that they should have uh you know changing the 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 real gobsmacking forehead slapping uh posture about this department of labor fiduciary rule is pretty yeah. breathtaking i mean the rule is, it says 
you can go and find whatever kind of financial advisor you want, including ones who have conflicts. Yeah. But those financial advisors have got to disclose those conflicts and have got to say, you know, I'm going to recommend things to you that are in your interests, not mine. And when you stop and think about this, when I you know, think about my mother who spent her career as a special education teacher paid. Mine uh, too. Really? Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so just raising seven kids in Oklahoma paid, paid nothing, right? Yeah. And she cobbled together uh, such a modest but, but adequate protection. Uh, she is sophisticated in so many ways. But a financial advisor that comes, you know, like shark to chum saying, I'm yeah. going sell to sell you all these different things yep. that are just going to fatten my, yeah. my paycheck at your expense, the DOL rule is, is, is aimed at exactly that relationship. And so selling that politically is essentially impossible, but they're steamrolling it. And, and that, to me, is kind of stunning. Well, the fiduciary rule, Michael, is one that I, I think a lot of people are, are uh, if they need, need to, they need to take in time and uh, take the time and really dig into it a little bit, because as you know, as just was said by Peter, I mean, this is kind of like a basic protection for consumers and for their retirement out there, and it's potentially being taken away. Uh, that's that's exactly right, and I, I completely agree with what you said and with what Peter said. If you look at the fiduciary duty rule, its basic point is uh, we should be looking out for the interests of uh, workers and retirees, not for the interests of the people who are selling them products. And it is such a basic, intuitive idea that um, you know the whole financial system base is based on trust. And if you can't trust the basic advice that you're getting in your retirement savings, you know, where does that leave you? So I think that this is really, um, uh, from the perspective of the administration, it's, it's an ideological assault. It's not an empirical one, it's not an empirically based one. It's an ideological assault on the basic idea that we should be caring about workers and retirees. And I, I just think, uh, I think it is um, inexcusable uh, that the administration has targeted the most vulnerable people in our society to be the ones that bear the brunt of their ideological push. So are we potentially looking at, I mean, we obviously has been talked about a lot here in this country, the problem uh, of the uh, of the gap between the one percenters and the 99 percenters. Uh, are we talking about potentially an even greater gap in the years to come if some of these moves are made? I, I think so. I think we're going to see, you know, increases in the wealth gap, uh, problems for people who are uh, middle class and who are uh, trying to struggling to build a stable life for themselves. You know, these are the very voters that um, candidate Trump said he wanted to help and protect. Right. And now we're only two weeks into the administration, and the Trump administration is attacking the people who were supposed to be sort of the central people they were, you know, going to protect. Uh, it's just completely a world upside down. And I, I think that, you know, for the long term, it is potentially. Um, quite, um, you know, troubling uh, for the long-term economic health of those families and of the United States. I think the the political strategy here eludes me, Michael. Whatever you could weigh in on what what's going on here. I, I mean, don't understand it. I mean, I well, you know, from a from a you know, I, I don't envy the political position they're putting themselves in, where they campaign one way and do the opposite 
for the core of their supporters. Well, uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Then, then who do you think is the person that's kind of pushing this button right now? Is it Steve Mnuchin that, that is kind of pushing this agenda? Well, he and Gary Cohn. This yeah. is kind of the Goldman Sachs wing of the Trump administration's yeah. uh, coalition. And Gary Cohn, in issuing these, these executive orders, went on the record with the New York Times. This was not a, an anonymous, uh, uh, thinly sourced quote. It was on the record saying uh, uh, and, and owning these issues, the best defense he could offer for the fiduciary rule repudiation is, uh, well, you know, sometimes you want to put unhealthy items on a menu and, uh, and people won't like to eat unhealthy food. Right. Mm, then yeah. maybe, I mean, that's true. That's true. I, I, there are times when I'm eating things and I'm uh, good, okay, che- but, but good nobody, cheese. Good cheese. Good cheese. Nobody has a special taste for wanting to get advice that is directly contrary. Exactly. To well, right. and, and to me, the other thing for both of you is the fact that how many people out there right now would understand what is wrong for them. I mean, I, I think we have a problem in this country also is, is that in terms of our retirement savings, we have an understanding, but to a degree, I think our country still is in in the in kind of the pension frame where, you know, pension money just kind of went in and it built on its own. Now we're more responsible for, for seeing the, the, the growth of this, and I think a lot of people are not able to do that. Well, so, so you got to keep in mind that the average American uh, retiree with a positive net worth is so unprepared for retirement for a lot of different reasons, including the things you're alluding to, the elimination of defined benefit pensions, the decoupling of retirement savings from employment and, and, and the like. But the thing that's so extraordinary about uh, uh, the administration's statement that people should be free to indulge in unhealthy financial planning is that there is no upside. When I eat too much delicious pizza, there's an immediate upside that I may come to regret, Right. But there is no upside for anyone but the conflicted financial advisor. Right. The only th- consequence in the short run is lost money. And the long run is, as you see these multiplied uh, across financial decisions, is even further erosion of the retirement security of middle-class Americans. And uh, again, there's, you know, just to reinforce Peter's point, there's lots of empirical evidence that that's exactly what's happening to people when they get conflicted advice. So the the uh, the broker walks away with higher fees, and the retiree and the worker who are trying to save for retirement end up with much lower returns. So then, then, then the comments by the president about the fact that Dodd Frank is hindering growth are really focused on the fact that they may be hindering growth of the banks and, and not hindering growth of the economy to a degree. Well, I think even that is completely wrong. I mean, if you look at the health of the United States banking sector and and um, compare it to other banking sectors around the world, the U.S. financial system is incredibly healthy now in comparison both to 2008 and in comparison to other countries. And that is precisely because we acted fast to put in place a new framework for financial regulation and higher capital requirements and safeguards in the system for investors and consumers. That's why our financial system is doing so well. So even, even the basic idea of kind of uh, uh, helping, you know, worrying about the health of the banking sector is just completely misguided. Peter? I, I, I keep on coming back to this thing, what do they have to gain from this? And, and the cynical view is that this is purely a sop to, uh, to, to Wall Street. But even that's insufficient an explanation. A lot of the largest banks on Wall Street 
uh, on the DOL rule, have voluntarily embraced the fiduciary standard. Right. So this isn't a sop to them. Now, a lot of the rollback of things like, uh, you know, or the first two titles of Dodd-Frank, which are, uh, which are resource intensive uh, for the banks in their compliance, um, that looks, again, just like a sop to, to industry. But I think the, the game, returning to Michael's point at the very beginning, this is going to be a slog. Uh, Democrats are going to take uh, this, uh, w- what they will classify, I think, correctly as a betrayal of campaign promises from from Trump. Uh, they will show why these rules are hurting the middle class. And the political fight is going to be uh, pretty extraordinarily intense. But the problem then becomes is can they have enough people, uh, Republicans, to jump the aisle and basically cut down what you know some of the things that that they want to try and do, which seemingly isn't happening right now. When you think about some of the uh, the nominees for the cabinet, I think the Democrats are going to take a uh, a page from the playbook of Tea Party Republicans in two thousand nine, uh, and I mean recall the town hall meetings, recall the death panels, recall all of this these arguments about health care. Yeah, um, as as wholesale financial reform. Uh, comes to Republican White House and, and, and Congress, they're going to see exactly those kind of angry political dynamics bring brought to the uh, to the fore. And there are an awful lot of House seats uh, held by Republicans yeah. that uh, where where Clinton beat Trump uh, in uh, in the last election. So uh, I think Republicans should be right to be wary of uh, of a wholesale repudiation of those kinds of middle class. Uh, values and protections. Michael? I agree. I mean, I think that the kinds of steps that they're taking over the last two weeks uh, are really going to wind up um, uh, coming home to roost. I think that uh, many of the steps that they're taking are aimed at uh, harming uh, basic middle-class families around the country and that are going to end up exposing the United States to enormous uh, financial risk. Uh, and I think when you start to add up uh, all these measures and attempted measures, uh, people are going to see through this. Right. Uh, and then they're going to act. And they're going to act in ways that is going to make the Trump administration regret that they went down this path. Michael, thank you very much for giving us your time today. Greatly appreciate it. My pleasure. You got it. Peter, great to see you again. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, Peter Connie Brown from the Wharton School. Uh, joining us, Michael Barr from the University of Michigan Law School, as you mentioned, one of the architects of uh, Dodd-Frank uh, several years ago. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.